Hello, and welcome to this edition of the Oregon Wine History Archive podcast. The Oregon Wine History Archive is located at Linfield College in McMinnville, Oregon, and is dedicated to preserving and sharing the Oregon wine story. This podcast will share these stories through oral history interviews we've conducted throughout the industry. Please enjoy these stories. I'm Melissa Salvin. I'm here with Rachel Woody, and I'm here with Darcy Fugman Small and Rick Small of Woodward Canyon. Today is July 14th, 2014. So thank you for meeting with us today. And the first question is, why wine? Well, uh, I have to tell you that it was, I, I discovered wine, I think, when I was traveling in Europe uh, after I got out of college and was exposed to wine then and the vineyards I saw and um, I noticed that trees and some of the other plant material was very similar to Walla Walla and when I got back that kind of thing kind of started to go through my head that it might be possible here. Okay. And so I know, I mean sometimes winemakers seek out particular regions um, to establish wineries and then other times there are different paths um, and so I mean I, can you speak a little bit about your connection to the Walla Walla Valley. I know you have a long standing one. <laughs> well, uh, yes, I, I do have a long, long relationship here and I'm generationally involved in agriculture. So on my mother's side of the family, I'm the fifth generation in agriculture in this valley. And then on my father's side, I'm three generations in agriculture. So farming and, you know, we predominantly weeding cattle before we explored the possibility of a vineyard and then trying to learn to make wine from those grapes was just you know just a very exciting thing for me to do as a young as a young person so i i really enjoyed that mm -hmm. i mean your, your degree was in, in agriculture and yes so, and then you decided to plant some grapes and what did your family think about that well i, I i'm not sure what my family thought i i thought i'm i'm assuming they thought it was interesting to explore uh -huh. But a lot of the neighbors and other people around the valley thought I was an absolute raving lunatic. <laughs> and so, um, but you know, the beautiful part about having a dream like that is, is that sometimes you're just so occupied with it and so consumed that you don't really pay much attention to the outside banter or the people, you know, and what they say or whatever. It didn't matter. I, I just was convinced I was going to do this. And so we just, we just did it. Did it, did it take a while, Darcy, for you to be convinced about this, or were you in, you know, at the very beginning? Oh, yeah, it was, it was kind of interesting. Our second date, we bottled his homemade Chardonnay. Uh, <laughs> so I knew what I was getting into. I figured that's why I was hired, uh, was because I could work the bottle. Or, um, and I also um, saw the, you know, the vineyard when it was just planted, and it was really the first seven rows were of, of Chardonnay were um, sticks in milk cartons with screen over the top to keep the grasshoppers out. And, you know, I stayed. So I guess that means no. something. <laughs> well, I know, I know you're not formally trained as winemakers. So um, can you speak a little bit about um, the research and, and how, you know, how, you, how you became so successful at this? What, you know, what did you do to learn about the things you needed to know? Well, I don't know. You know, the, the, you, you, what you say is true. We didn't have formal training, but I mean, you couldn't practice medicine that way or be an engineer probably or something like that. But, but winemaking is very intuitive and it's, it's natural and, it's, and it's, it's not that complicated actually. And so the good thing was that there were some very, very good universities in our country, UC Davis and Cal State Fresno that had great programs. And uh, they had bookstores, and all you had to do was do a, you didn't have Google or anything to do a search, but you could write a letter and get information and then find out what books that the, the different uh, programs were using. And so I just bought the textbooks and had them shipped up from uh, UC Davis and uh, started reading them over and over and over. And that's how I did it. And there was a a very you know small industry starting in the Tri-Cities area and they were very welcoming yes, and we did a lot of, of blind tastings together some of our first equipment came from Preston wine cellars so you know they were excited that anybody was interested in the subject and so that was really helpful to having this little nucleus of people that were all kind of headed the same direction okay okay 
Well, so I know you're, you're kind of anticipating the next question then about some of the other early uh, winemakers um, in the region. Um, who were some of the other people that you worked closely with? Well, Gary Figgins and I were very good friends, and uh, we, were, we were in the Army Reserve together, and actually Gary and my brother Jim were better friends while they were in high school, and uh, then when I was still at Washington State University, uh, joined the Army Reserve, and then that's how I really met Gary. And uh, so when he was starting to share his enthusiasm for home winemaking, I was very much intrigued with that. And actually, his, his home wines were superb. They were really, really good. And uh, I remember tasting one of his homemade wines, and it just tasted like pure fruit. And I thought, boy, if, some, if someone can make a wine that captures the flavor of Walla Walla fruit like that, that's something I really want to learn to do. And uh, so we hung out a lot, got to be very, very good friends, and are still. But uh, he was making homemade wine, and it was good. And you've always been this close to Lake Cole, right? I mean, yes. So, yes. so um, Baker and Gene Ferguson of Lake Cole. Sure. Um, I mean, did it feel like there was a real nucleus of, of people in Walla Walla who were very aware of what everyone else was doing and very supportive? Or, um, or did it feel, I mean, because I'm just trying to think of how it is now, it seems like everybody is, yes. like, hey, I want to. Have a oh yeah, and a lot of people coming from other places. I mean, that was the thing that was pretty special about being next door to Lacole was that Baker and Jean were very, very good neighbors, and and uh, oftentimes if Baker or Jean needed some help, I'd go over and help them, or vice versa. And you have to remember that we were only about three or four of us here in the early days, and then it grew a little bit more, but. We needed each other. We depended on each other because you didn't. You just couldn't go run down to the local supplier and get some yeast or get some get some other input that you might have needed to for wine. So we we helped each other quite a bit, and it was just it just seemed logical uh -huh. to do it. Uh -huh. And the two of you, your partnership. I mean, are there are there particular roles, Darcy, that you play, or, or was there anything that you wouldn't do? Like, like or, you know, you're out there doing whatever needs to be done. Yeah, in the beginning, I would do the vineyard. When Rick was still mm -hmm. working part-time with the family farm uh, on weekends, I'd be up in the vineyard suckering the vines and working the vines on Saturdays until we had our, our children. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I've always gone to the events and poured wine, mm. uh, always helped to crush. Um, so been part of that whole side of it, and then now as a general manager, I'm I'm, you know, kind of overseeing the the non-production things, the the tasting room, the restaurant, all that that part of the, the information, you know, right. website and everything, with the rest of our staff. Whereas Rick's on the production side of the business, which is really you know the winemaking and vineyard growing side. But, but to be fair, to Darcy's credit, she did a lot. When we first got started, I mean, the things that she took, you know, that she took care of, were, it was, was made the difference between what I could do. So I could have never done it without, uh -huh. without her helping and being involved. But yeah, she would go. She'd help do market visits, and you know, just just as recently as last fall, we're coming back from through London, and Darcy's out on the street working the market just the same as me. And um, so, it, and it's good that way because she knows everything. I mean, she is she knows everything about that. the company. <laughs> yeah. So that's good, though. I mean, that's good. That's the kind of general manager you need. Right. Right. Well, I know you were both very um, involved in the Walla Walla Valley Wine Growers Association, mm -hmm. which is the precursor to the Walla Walla Valley Wine Alliance. Yes. And um, I was wondering if you could speak a little bit about about getting the Appalachian. Uh, approved. I mean, I know you, Darcy, mm -hmm. wrote the report or wrote the application with Becky Hendricks. Right? Yes, yes. So how, how did that process evolve? You know, I, I can't even really remember how we decided that it was time to work on an appellation. I think Yakima had just, was just going through the process of theirs when we started. And I don't know if it was initiated, I can't remember if it was us or with Gary or with Walt Gary, who was the county extension agent at the time that provided a place to meet and with really a lot of resources. But once we decided we were going to move forward, I was a, since I was a land use planner, writing that and doing the legal description was something that made sense for me to do. So I did all the research on the Washington side, and then Becky, who was at that point, their family were um, co-owners of Seven Hills Vineyard, the original Seven Hills Vineyard. And so she did the Oregon side, and then we put it together and, and sent it off to the feds. Rick was president of the associate at the time, so his signature's on the letter. And, 
and it went off and it was a, a two-year process. Um, it was, you know, again, before you could just email somebody something right. and so we had letters back and forth and at one, we, I think they, we went through like four different ATF agents um, in the process and one, one gentleman lost all the maps and so we had to resend all the maps again. But eventually uh, we got it finished and um, in fact, I remember that it was Jim Ficaretta was the yeah, gentleman's name at TT yep. or ATF that um, actually signed off on it and um, helped us get through the process. Mm -hmm. and, and then not long after that, the Columbia Valley started their, their process as well. But it was a good it was a good exercise to do, and I, I I'm trying to still remind myself about why we chose to do it then. But I know Herb was interested. Herb mm -hmm. Hendricks, yeah. uh, who along with Jim McClellan were the owners of Seven Hills in, in the beginning, and and Herb uh, as a doctor just was a very methodical guy. So was Jim. But I know I had conversations with Herb, and I knew Herb felt that it was important to to begin in that process, as did I. And I think we all agreed that Walla Walla had a good name, and we were already known for other kinds of agriculture, good agriculture, good onions, and good other things. And so we, um, we and it was better to do it early than to wait and, and just wait and wait. And, and uh, the, by initiating that, I think it brought more credibility to, to our place and, uh, and gave us a branding of sorts, which we still rely on heavily today. Yeah, and the first approval did not include anything north of Highway 12, like where Seven Hills, been, or um, not Seven Spring, Hills, Spring Valley, Valley is. Oh, okay. um, and that was the wasn't there was no discussion that it wasn't really naturally part of the valley, but there was no wineries or vineyards there at the time. Oh, okay. And then later on, after Spring Valley got established, uh, Norma Kibben and Chris Figgins both um, prepared an amendment to put it back to what the original application was. Oh, okay. But it was, I mean, the valley has always been a very pretty well defined space too. Mm -hmm. And so it was a fairly easy to get agreement and to move forward and um, it, made, it made the process much simpler. Mm -hmm. Are other, I mean, do other people come to you and like the, the at the time, the Walla Walla Valley Wine Growers Association because they wanted to do similar things in their own regions? Or, I mean, just in terms of people asking, you know, how did you do this? What, how did you succeed at establishing this and, and like that whole long process? I mean, that would take a lot of a lot of time and energy and perseverance. Yes. Yeah. Well, most people hire consultants to do it now, oh, okay. and there are people who sp do specific things like that. But there's there were guidelines. I mean, it wasn't that difficult if you could read and understand what to do. I mean, it wasn't hard for you to well, do that. No, and I can say because the valley had such a long history and was so well defined as a as an actual region okay. uh, physically um, it was very helpful and the long history that Walla Walla had with with growing things there was um, articles we pulled from the early version of I think it was a Walla Walla Statesman or something it was prior to the Union Bulletin right, right. Um, and there were articles in there in like 1800s about growing the potential to grow grapes in Walla Walla that would outpace what was happening in California so it was pretty amazing to go back and have that resource uh, to use as justification for why this should be uh, approved as an appellation. Uh -huh. Yeah, and in fact, I believe a lot of those items were uh, we were able to source out of the archives at Whitman, weren't yeah, we? We do. We yeah. have through Larry with, Dodd actually. With Larry oh, Dodd. Yeah. Larry yeah. Dodd helped us with that, which is almost a wonderful thing to think about because that's how, with some of that wonderful information, it was how we were able to more easily get through the process of becoming an appellation because of the the. The history we have here. Right, nice circle. Yeah, <laughs> it made a very nice circle. circle. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I know that um, the uh, Walla Walla Community College Enology and Viticulture Program. I know that you're on the advisory committee for that. Mm -hmm. um, can you say a little bit about how that program? I mean, how having these kinds of things has really shaped and changed, you know, the industry here in Walla Walla. Well. Yeah, it's good. It's good for it to be here. I mean, I think it's just one more part of our of our of our of how serious we are as a, as a wine region. Um, clearly, in the beginning, obviously, we didn't have that, and hence you you send it out to the, a university that has a, a a program, and you try to borrow their textbooks and learn right. that way. But the wonderful thing about having the the Center for Viticulture and Enology here in Walla Walla is that it's a very 
it's technical, but it's also very practical. And that's the thing that I like so much. If someone wants to take it even further after Walla Walla, they have the choice of going to Davis or go to OSU or Washington State University, or they, if they choose to go into uh, take a different direction towards research, they, could, they would probably want to go to one of those universities. But I think it just makes Walla Walla more complete. It gives us more credibility, and it's also about learning the techniques and the winemaking right here with the grapes that you're working with and not learning California techniques at Davis and then coming back and trying to apply those to making wine in Walla Walla. Mm -hmm. And so it's important that it's here. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, I know that um, you're a member of the Walla Walla Valley Wine Growers Sustainable Trust. And uh, I wanted to just ask you, I mean, I think, especially for Woodward Canyon, you have a farm, you have a restaurant, mm -hmm. I mean, it all seems very much tied to this idea of sustainability. And is that, um, how, how long has that impulse been a part of Walla Walla Valley? Mm, I'd, say, I'd say about 10 years, don't you think, Amazing. about since we first started? I think our first meetings happened in about 2004, maybe 2005, so I'd say about 10 years. But I have to give a lot of credit to uh, Jean-Francois, who was exposed to IOBC and sustainable wine growing in Switzerland as a, young, as a youngster. And then when he came to the United States and was working in California, he got more involved in sustainable uh, wine growing and viticulture. And so when he finally came to Pepper Bridge, um, he, I believe, was the one that drove the initiation of us becoming and focusing on sustainable agriculture as far as grape growing and winemaking here. And, uh, and he's also led by example. He's been incredible that way. And uh, I think now, I, I think the last numbers I'm aware of uh, is that we are somewhere in the neighborhood of about 70% of the total acreage in Walla Walla Valley is either certified sustainable already or in the process of becoming certified sustainable. So that's pretty, that's a quite a lot, a large uh, amount of acreage that is farmed sustainably. And so we're very proud of that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and a lot of us were using those techniques earlier, but there was really no way to capture or to measure it, and, and that, this process has provided that. Okay. Okay. Now, I know you have two children, mm -hmm. and your daughter is now back working here. I mean, how, was it something that, were they always, you know, like helping out growing up, or, I mean, is it, is it something that you feel... You know, because I just think about family and how that seems really important, you know, being from the region, having this long legacy of agriculture. And so, you know, what can you say something about that kind of like legacy that you're passing well, on? I think we always told them they should do what they want to do and what they love. And so there was never pressure to be part of the winery. Mm -hmm. They both spent time out here, particularly our daughter. Um, our son did it mostly. He was up doing video games. <laughs> uh, but. Um, you know, she, she started hauling glasses at, at events and doing things like that. Um, and over the years, just, you know, picking up a few uh, extra things that she was doing. Um, I, when she went to, to college um, down at Lewis and Clark in Portland, her intent was not to do wine. You know, she studied um, international um, affairs. affairs. And um, then after she got out of college, she came back to just kind of spend a, a relaxing summer in Walla Walla and just kind of got slowly sucked into the, the business. Uh, she um, worked for the Wine Alliance a little bit, doing some part-time things, and then she uh, worked doing a, uh, helping with a, a study the community college did on the economic impact of the wine industry. Okay. So because they needed someone who kind of knew everyone in the industry, and she did, so she helped on that. And, then she kind of, you know, ended up back at the Wine Alliance for a while, and pretty soon she was set that she was going to, to stay in Walla Walla and, and get into wine, and so she worked at Tertulli in their tasting room and sales, okay. and then at Long Shadows for five years doing their, their lab and, and quality control. So it's been a really interesting transition to see, to see it happen, um, uh -huh. and this is what she wants to do. Uh -huh. So it's been wonderful to have her here. Uh -huh. um, and our son sits on the board. He's not here in Walla Walla, but he's, uh, he's a, a cook. And so he's gone through the culinary uh, program, and not not here, but uh, in Seattle, and um, you know, so he brings that that side of of the business in into it, which is really nice. That's great. Now I, I feel like I remember Darcy talking to you at your house, and you mentioning that you would have students from France come, and so and this is something that you did for over 
10 years? So how, how oh, long? I don't know, probably closer to 20, yeah, close between 15 and 20, I suppose. And uh, so our kids grew up with a lot of exposure, I guess, to uh, other parts of France, at least, and which we love. And uh, we loved that part of it. And this is a very interesting college where these, it was like a graduate school, and it was actually a private university in, uh, in Toulouse. And uh, these were, it was, so, it was an interesting group. These kids were all required to, to do a, an internship uh, between two and four months' time uh, uh, abroad. And uh, so a lot, a lot of them chose Washington State. And, and so we, we had a, this wonderful opportunity every year. A new student would help pick the next student that would come. And so it just continually... Uh, generated a new student every time, and they were just in, and we're still in touch with some. We've been invited to their weddings, and so the exchange like that uh, about wine and food and all of that cultural as well uh, is just fascinating stuff. And I think our it was good for us, but it was good for our our production team as well, and good for our children. Mm -hmm. right. And then we had three longer term inter uh, experience international students that were here any time uh, any, between a year and eighteen months. Yeah. Um, so we really got to know them mm -hmm. quite well, and, and that was, you know, again part of the just a great experience. And right. I think we're in touch with all three of those uh -huh. students yeah. still. But you're saying that the students from this program in Toulouse were aware of Washington. I mean, it's not, oh, why am I in Eastern Washington, where sure. they were, they already had that knowledge. Well, most of them know about California. They know about Napa and Sonoma, but what. I think they didn't know so much about was Willamette Valley and Walla Walla Valley and the, the you know, the, the things that were going on here. And, um, and for some, some just didn't want to go to California. They, they, they knew about California already and they wanted to go somewhere else. And of course they had a lot of other choices as well. They didn't have to just go to America. They could have, they could have also gone to Germany and work or they could have gone to Australia. Well, they had to. Or New Zealand. Also. They had to do one domestic and one international. Yeah. Stage, but it was interesting because most of these students were not interested particularly in wine. Uh, they were anything from people who were going to breed cattle to uh, yeah to, to garlic family family who raised the the rose garlic in Latrec or um, marketing agricultural marketing or agricultural engineering. Um, but they had to also not only go abroad somewhere, but they had to do something still in agriculture, but outside of their discipline too, yes. which was a you know, really great broadening experience for them as well. Well, it was almost like an agricultural Whitman College, if you want to think okay. about it that way, because that, these people were, it was very liberal. And in the sense that you, you were doing all these things that were associated with agriculture, but it was very, very broad and complex. And so there was a lot, a lot of learning that went on with it. It was, very, it was just fascinating. Well, so I know I kind of already anticipated this, but that's what I do. Um, so I know you established Bonded in 1981. Mm -hmm. um, so how, how would you characterize the changes that you've seen in the wine industry in Walla Walla since that time? Oh, gosh. Well, I think probably the thing that I see that's the biggest now is the so much more interest from outside. I mean, it, Walla Walla for a long, long time, Walla Walla grape growing and winemaking was a very compact, small, little, I don't want to call it a secret, but it was pretty, it was pretty tightly held. I mean, there weren't a lot of people that knew that much about it. And I think as the wines, uh, we started to produce more wine and the, wine, the, the quality was always very high. And then there became an awareness of Walla Walla's wine quality and its, commit, its commitment, I, I would say, to, to uh, excellence in production of wine and growing grapes. And it started to entice people, I think, to take a look at maybe, if they were serious about wine, maybe look in California, certainly, or maybe in McMinnville or Woodenville, or, or, or I mean, uh, anywhere else down in, in the Willamette Valley, or they would take a look at Washington State. And of course, when you start thinking about Washington State, the, the, the areas where we grow grapes in, in Walla Walla uh, is, a, is a beautiful place. It's, it's just aesthetically a very pleasing place to be. And um, I think when they came and saw that, and I think it's escalated, it's just built on itself, and then there becomes critical mass and more and more and more go. And uh, I th I, that's just my take on it, but mm -hmm. that's, I, I don't see that slowing down either. Mm -hmm. 
I mean, does Walla Walla feel very different than when you were growing up in this region? I mean, sure. Yeah. Well, Walla Walla has been an interesting place, and I had the great privilege. I was just telling someone else the other day when I when I was at university, I was in architecture school, and and I was in a landscape architecture class, and my professor asked us to do a developmental history of Walla Walla. And of course, having access to Whitman College, it was fabulous. But one of the things that I found, and this has probably happened in Walla Walla's history as near as I can tell about four or five times, that Walla Walla was well-educated and traveled substantially. And so people knew how to, they knew things. And, and I, I think Walla Walla had the ability to kind of reinvent itself or take another look at agriculture or whatever it's been it's been a mining town it was it was a town for agriculture and that and now it's kind of known as a wine town and and I, I, I just think that there was in, people had insight here and what's fascinating is every time they did it it revitalized Walla Walla and this the wine industry part of this for me is nothing more than an extension of, of that social capital that Walla Walla has always had, mm -hmm. and it just continues. It's mm -hmm. wonderful. And I think part of that's due to, you know, the if you want to call it isolation. I mean, because we are not on a on a main road to anywhere. But I think that also was what keeps that real strong sense of place. And I think for the wine industry, particularly, you know, if you're in Yakima Valley, for instance, is is the center of that? Is it Yakima? Is it Prosser? Is it, you know, where, where is that center? In Walla Walla, it's always been clear from the beginning. The center of, of winemaking and all the activity around it is Walla Walla. Mm -hmm. And I think that's been very um, helpful for us as an industry. And I think that's one reason it's really attractive to our visitors that come here. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well said. Okay. Well, I think I will okay. pass you off. <laughs> Thank you very much. Sure. Do you guys need a minute? Are you okay to keep I'm good. Yeah. All right. Gross. <laughs> and we just talk a lot. <laughs> yeah. It's good, though. It's very natural, very articulate. Yeah. I was uh, eavesdropping <laughs> in the room, oh. so it was a pleasure to hear it. All right. So my portion is going to be focused on Oregon and Washington. And of course, the Walla Walla ABA is, is cross-state. and so. Mm -hmm. um, to get started, though, I would love to hear more about the Walla Walla region and what it's known for. I know you both sort of touched on the agricultural history first, and I'd love to hear more about that and what sort of agriculture was here and how that evolved into grapes. Well, you know, I, I obviously, I don't know if I'm the expert on this to speak, but Walla Walla, at least from my point of view and from the generations that I was involved in with my family on both sides, was mostly wheat and cattle. Mm -hmm. And that, I believe, is a lot what Walla Walla, what, there was, the soil here was good, and we had good rainfall, and then I, de I never was associated with some of the, the, the fruit, the tree fruit, I never was exposed to that. Mm -hmm. But I know that peas were grown here widely earlier on. And, um, you know, it just, it's just a great place to grow, grow things. The soil is good here. Very, very good, actually. Um, Darcy, do you have anything more to add? No, I just think, you know, when we were peas and the other row crops were here, there were a lot of canneries and that type of thing. And then as people's eating habits changed, where, you know, people aren't eating so much out of cans and things, so those kind of went to the wayside, and then there was something else that would come along, and um, it was just, you know, I think it's the way farmers have to react to the marketplace, and that's why we've seen a lot of the changes over time. And so for you both, I know you're one of the first in the area. Has the transition to vineyards been slow and steady? Has it been like just in the last five to 10 years? What has it seemed like? Well, um, I think it was kind of slow initially. Mm -hmm. um, I can remember having this conversation with Gary Figgins. Uh, I don't know, it's been 20 years ago now or so, but he and I both believed after we could see the kind of grapes we could grow and the the, the style of wines we were able to produce. And, and you know, we, we knew they were pretty good. And we'd won awards, and especially Gary had won some marvelous awards, and we'd done well also. And what kind of was baffling to us is we knew it was a really good place to grow grapes, and we couldn't figure out why no one else 
had figured that out yet. Uh, and you know, part of it was because we were not making very much wine and the wine was being consumed mostly in Washington and Oregon, I suppose, maybe a little bit more. But as that changed the, 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 and, the, and more awareness built, then more, more people took a look at it. And then it started to grow. I would say probably for me, the, the, the next step after when we started in the early, late 70s for Gary and early 80s for us was about 1995 because then we had about two or three other wineries that started and uh, I think Dunham and Reiniger and Walla Walla Vint or some, uh, some in that general zone right there. And that kind of set the, new, the, the next start. And then I think after that, then I think people started to take a look at it more. And we were building critical mass. And uh, I, think, I think one thing too is we had all started primarily though using fruit from outside of the valley almost all the wineries here in the early years because we were just planting vineyards at the same time and so we weren't getting that amount of fruit. And I think sure. that, that continues to this day and for several reasons. One is because the winters we have in Washington that people use fruit from outside the valley and continue to. Uh, and some is just for the, the, the character you get from blending these different um, vineyards together. Um, but the, I think the other vineyard-wise here in Walla Walla, probably the biggest thing was when Norma McKibben came and, and started uh, yeah. Pepper Bridge because that was a significant investment in, in Vineyard and then moved on to the, the new Seven Hills on the Oregon side. But that was, I think, really the turning point in, in terms of people from the outside area really looking at Walla Walla as, as a place to, to come and to plant vineyards. Well, I would also add that those vineyards that, that Norm was planting and becoming associated with were large, mm -hmm. uh, larger than, than he would have needed to just supply his own winery at that time. And so what that meant was that then those were, there was going to be Pepper Bridge grapes available to other people like a Chris Camarda from Andrew Will or uh, several other wineries from over in the Puget Sound or from another spot, another place. And so that kind of started to build a reputation also for, for Walla Walla grapes. And, and all of that was good. And, uh, and it just grew from there. So th we've talked about the Walla Walla area because there's not the split of the river, um, I guess to give you some background first, I just did Hood River and the Dells, mm -hmm. and then Dallas Port and White Salmon too, of course. And so the Columbia was a very defining border as far mm -hmm. as the topography and climate being different on either side. Mm -hmm. For the Walla Walla AVA, Columbia is not cutting mm -hmm. through it. Um, so for places like Milton Freewaters, is it pretty much the same sort of soil and climate, or is it different? No, I'd say Walla Walla Valley, you have to remember, if you go back far enough, we were really Oregon before we were Washington. We were Oregon territory and the Walla Walla Valley was just this wonderful little drainage that came out of the Blue Mountains. And, you know, we didn't, you know, Washington was territory, but I mean, we were totally, so th for me, the fact that it's a, there's a political boundary that kind of runs right along on an east-west basis, if you want, or west-east, uh, almost as, it doesn't matter. It doesn't have any meaning to me at all because what we're talking about, as Darcy spoke to earlier, was a sense of place, a spot, a, a, a piece of ground or earth that has these cobbles in the bottoms and we have windblown silt over uh, flood silts and, flood, and you know, and, and uh, fractured basalt and that's kind of our place and it's the same more or less, I mean, there's some geological differences, but the point is that it really is not very different on the Oregon side or the Washington side. Mm -hmm. And so it's just Walla Walla Valley. We like that. Yeah, yeah I think to the, to the wine industry, there really isn't, it's the valley. I mean, that's mm -hmm. kind of all we, we talk about it as a whole, we really don't really talk about. I think, you know, from the few wineries that have tried to operate, maybe in Oregon, there's been some differences in, in terms of how you can market. Um, because most of us are in Washington in terms of the wineries, mm -hmm. and so we market through the Washington Wine Commission. Well, you know, uh, when Seven Hills Winery was over the border, they couldn't, and yet they were part of the valley, and they were certainly part of all of us. And so I think there's been some, but it's, but it's more because the politics, not because of the geography that separates. Well, it. and there are some rules. There, there are rules about labeling. It's just, it's just they're federal rules, and then we each have state rules too. So Oregon has state rule. Washington has state rule, and so sometimes those aren't, uh, they f go against the, the federal a little bit, so you have to comply with your Oregon rule if you're in Oregon, and you have to comply with Washington rule if you're in Washington. And unfortunately, if you're using Walla Walla fruit from the south, from the Oregon side, that can kind of get you into a spot where, where you have to be sure if you're gonna be 
technically correct, that you're labeling absolutely properly. So that, that has caused a little bit of an issue, and I don't know that yet if that will ever be resolved. It would be, you know, thankfully, it's nice if you can just label it as Walla Walla Valley because then it's just from here. But we're even noticing now some little subsets, little sub-appellations, if you will. Uh, but we always knew that they were there. And so now we're starting to see some of that start to surface uh, as Walla Walla becomes a little bigger and we know more. We've had decades now of planting grapes in different locations and we're starting to see that. So I, we've started to get into this and it leads great into the next question as far as what are the strengths and the challenges? So it sounds like Walla Walla Valley as an identity is a huge strength. Mm -hmm. And then of course the challenges being the politics and the, the federal and state laws. What are some other things that have been either really great and has lended strength or critical mass and what are other things like the labeling that is sort mm -hmm. of is something to overcome. Well, I think one yeah. challenge, and, and it's regardless of where you are in Washington State, is the whole issue of, of availability of water. Mm -hmm. And if you're going to plant a vineyard, you need, you need unless you're way up in the foothills, you need water. Um, and there are new, no new water rights in the state of Washington, so you either have to acquire land with those water rights or you have to be able to transfer a water right. And that, as time goes on, is going to be, I think, a more and more critical thing that will affect the expansion of, of vineyards in, in the Walla Walla area. Well, yeah, I would, I would even add that I think, that I think we will see some of those same kind of regulations uh, come up in Oregon as well. I think, you know, the two states have so much in common. I mean, we just are so, it's like almost like siblings of one kind or another. And uh, there's just so much that we, that we do that's this thing, that's, is the same. But, I know Oregon is also concerned about managing its resource, its water resources uh, efficiently and effectively. Mm -hmm. And uh, I just think in this particular case, Department of Ecology of Washington State just was a little bit further ahead of it, but there's no doubt about it that water, I mean, we see it in California now all over the place that a lot of the producers of fine wine grapes in Sonoma and Napa are, and all of a sudden people who are best of friends and best of neighbors just across the road from each other or across the creek from each other are now just fighting for fighting fighting for the water and it's going to be the water will be a huge mm -hmm. challenge going forward mm. you know for us that, that probably won't be the only only one ever but you know managing vineyards sustainably over time uh, is 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 admirable but even still sometimes that gets a little bit challenging and you know I'm kind of going through some of that right now I love being sustainable and I love being even closer to organic when I can do it. But just generally, the, the t and you can throw climate change into that mix, I think, if you want, because you're starting to see that play in to what's affecting bees and pollinators and also what, what sometimes happens with your beneficials then, that you, you rely on a certain population of beneficials to remain sustainable because they're there. And if things are changing and then the beneficial population changes, and then that means a predator that comes into your vineyard doesn't have something eating it, so then it starts to cause you more trouble. So there's, there's a few things like that that I think we'll still be faced with, but, uh, mm -hmm. but it's nothing that we can't manage. And I think the positive is just, you know, the community we have here in Walla Walla. And there's still, you know, we have the mix of the arts and, and the education and, you know, just wonderful things happening. And now, you know, a lot of small producers producing very high quality food. And I just think yeah. that's, you know, there's a great synergy going on here in the community. And if anything, it's, it's, it's increasing, which I think, you know, bodes well for the wine industry and particularly for bringing people to the valley that enjoy spending time here. And that's really important, I think, for all of us. Yes, one thing I have, am starting to learn of this area is for the wine industry coming in, it's really helped the Walla Walla area mm -hmm. increase tourism, increase yeah. economy. Um, I'm sure you found that to be the case, yeah. too. Yeah, the restaurants, I think, one thing with wine industry, and this was pretty common in California, too, and around Napa and Sonoma, when their industries first took off in the 60s and 70s, uh, a lot of those winemakers down there 
lamented the fact they didn't have enough good restaurants. They had the wineries, and, and, and now, I mean, it's the same in, McMin in McMinnville and elsewhere. I mean, you've got all these wonderful little restaurants, and they're, 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 they're offering locally sourced food, and it's literally farm-to-table types of meals, and they're just extraordinary, and that's what you see in the, pre the premier wine regions in Europe. It's just the same, just the same thing. It's wonderful. wonderful. And I think the very nice thing is it is actually bringing and keeping you know, younger people back to Walla Walla. It's been really refreshing, you know, the number of people that, that work for us that were not from Walla Walla, but um, they have been interested in what's happening, and so I think we, we have access to some really great individuals, and, and they bring something to the community as well. Yes. Which has been really nice to see. Yep, I that wasn't the case when I came to Walla Walla. Yeah, yeah. So leading off of that, where do you think this will go, not only for the wine industry, but for the Walla Walla community? How do you see it growing? Well, it, I, I believe, I'm sure it's going to grow. And I think one of the things that I always have said, and this is actually, in fact, how I met Darcy, was that I was on a planning commission for a while, and she was staff, and we, we met that way. But one of the things that I feel strongly about is if our industry is going to grow, and it will, then we are responsible uh, as participants to help shape that growth and help be involved in it and, uh, and be respectful of it. And um, I, I learned that from Darcy, but it's true. I mean, it's, it, this is really important. And, and, and that way it grows, uh, it's sustainable, but it also grows responsibly. So you're socially responsible and you're, you're, you gotta do things in the right way. And I really think, uh, I think it's open-ended how, how grand uh, the wine industry can be here. Um, yeah, I, I, it's hard for me to guess. I just, I, I want all the people who come to embrace that concept of, of helping shape the growth though, because you know, we've got corporate jet aircraft coming in and out because they fly over our house a lot. And um, it's just different. There's a lot of people coming here. So some people will come to Walla Walla just because they want to have a winery. But the people that come to Walla Walla that I want to know are people who want to help make Walla Walla better and, and you know, and put something, invest something in it, mm -hmm. you know, and then stay also. Yeah. Yeah, I just I say I, I think you know we'll continue at. I don't know if we're going to see any great spikes. I think maybe we're kind of past that uh, that we saw like between '99 and 2000. But I think there'll be a slow, steady growth. And you know, there's this last two years. There's been more interest from people from outside of Washington, larger winery corporations. And I think we'll probably consider. You know, we'll see more of that, and we'll see more of the small mom and pop. Um, I think we'll both both ends of the spectrum will be be growing. But I think that interest from the outside. Is, is going to maybe make some some changes we can't quite envision yet. Yeah, I, I think that's I think that's fair. Now you may not have an answer to this question, but to to tie in Oregon again into this growth, one thing of course that we have observed is that Walla Walla in Washington is really becoming coming into its own with the restaurants and the arts. Milton Freerotter is not quite there yet. Do you think that will change? Is there things that you can perceive as wine industry members as to why that growth may not have happened as much? Any thoughts you have on that? I would mm. appreciate. I don't know. I almost would defer to you on that. You yeah. probably are better at land use planning and all of that. But I think that's been part of the issue. I mean, I think you know, Walla Walla was a much larger city, and I think so. A lot of things have that might have in days past located in Milton Freewater have located in Walla Walla. I think Milton Freewater, I think if they, they you know, get on the track, I think it will expand and, and grow and maybe you know, have some really nice things happening down there as well. Mm -hmm. um, but I think right now it's still more advantageous for wineries to be in Washington um, than in Oregon. So I, I'm not sure how much the so, you know, unless something new of, of a substantial size happens in Oregon winery-wise, I don't, you'll see a lot of growth, as much growth in the Oregon side of, for wineries. But I think the community, certainly, there's, there's, there's beginnings, and I think they can, can build on that. Great, thank you. Um, so one of the questions that I love asking um, 
wine industry people, and especially for yourselves who have been in this area for a couple decades now at least, what are some of the best varietals that you have found that thrive here? Well, we're still exploring that, I think, a little bit. At least I am. I, I, um, that said, they're, you know, whether they're German or Italian or Spanish or French, um, I, I think we don't know exactly all of that yet. But for us, for personally, where we are, given the warmth of the valley, at least on the western end, where kind of where we are, I would still say Bordeaux varieties are probably what we, well, cer certainly what we have the most planted. And we're dabbling in rootstock now and clones and different exposures and aspects. But boy, there's, uh, I think as Kevin Polk says, there's a lot of possibilities because Walla Walla Appalachian is as large as it is, relatively, that there's a lot of microclimates out there mm -hmm. for a lot of different grapes. And what's interesting is how well they can do. So that's not a cop-out, but I think for us, I would say Bordeaux is predominantly for us. Um, but uh, yeah, we do some other things, I think, quite well too. And that's just out here. So I don't know that if you go to other places, there'd be other, someone else would give you certainly a different answer, I think. Mm -hmm. hmm? So what have been sort of lessons learned? Or if you had something to do over again, would you do differently? That kind of thing. Mm. I don't think I'd do anything differently. I mean. You can't. I mean, how could how could you do that? I mean, I, this was just a dream anyway. It was just one of these wonderful things that you just. I've told people that uh, have interviewed me before that failure was never part of the dream. It was just kind of like one of these little things that you just knew you were going to do it, mm -hmm. and you just set about doing it, and and you did. And um, I think what happens is now, as you get older and you have more experience and you have more hindsight. Um, you, you see, you know, you know more about what kind of risks are out there and what are, what are out there when you're young and passionate and, and so focused. A lot of that other stuff on the side, on the periphery, you just don't pay attention to it. Just, you're oblivious to it and you're just going and you just want to make it happen. I think for me, as I've gotten older, then I realize that there is more risk. You have weather, you have issues, you have winter, winter freeze sometimes that happens. And, um, so some of that sort of stuff is things that I that I think about more. But uh, mm -hmm. boy, when I started, I just I I was just going to do it. I just didn't yeah. you know wasn't going to. Yeah, the only thing that might have been nice yeah. to have a little more background in business, because neither sure. one of us really did. And I think now maybe some strategically we could have you know done things a little differently. But you know, it's been okay. Um, yeah. And I think we've surrounded ourselves with people that know you know that that can fill that in, and we're learning. But that was probably, and I think. That is the one thing that most people getting in the business don't have, um, honestly, is they don't have that, that background business, or background in business, uh, which would certainly be helpful. Well, in marketing, too, I mean, yeah. one of the things is they kind of go hand in hand and understanding economics and a lot of that as well. But the wine business is a very expensive business to be in, in and to get into because, uh, like our accountant always likes to tell us, uh, you're sitting, once you're doing Bordeaux Reds, let's say, or Cabernet Sauvignon or Merlot, mm -hmm. it's not unrealistic at all to have three vintage of, the, of those wines in different stages from starting in October when you have the new vintage in and you've got one that's in the barrel and then you've got another one that's in the barrel or just in the bottle. But in any event, you've got three between three and four vintages sitting around, so you've got a lot of money tied up. Right. And so you need to have probably deeper pockets than you think you do. <laughs> To, uh, to get in the business. And as, as I'll always tell people, that uh, making the wine is the most fun. Growing the grapes is the most fun in the world, but the most important thing is selling your wine. Getting it sold, and getting it sold properly to the right stores, the right wine shops, the right restaurants, and then have subsequent purchase orders. That's, that's the, the biggest deal for me right now. And the thing I stay awake most now thinking about is just making sure you can do everything you can marketing-wise mm -hmm. and with sales. It means being on an airplane. It means traveling and being out quite a bit. Mm -hmm. Never take it for granted, mm -hmm. ever, yeah. ever. Good. That's excellent advice. Yeah. So I think the only other question that we have for you is, between Melissa and myself, is there anything that we should have asked you that we didn't or any sort of last thoughts you want to make sure we capture looking at the wine industry? Mm. 
I don't know, the only thing I would say in addition is how, at least from my point of view, how tight we are here in Walla Walla. I was just thinking the exact same thing. I mean, the camaraderie thing that we talk about, that's not just... BS. Yeah, it's... It's, it's the real deal. It's real. Yeah. And we are good friends with, you know, the majority of the folks that are in the industry and, and we support each other and yeah. help each other Yeah, out. we socialize. And yeah. I think it's hard for people to understand how you could have that kind of a relationship with a competitor, quote unquote, a competitor. But they're friends. I mean, we helped each other when we were coming up in this together. And uh, I think that's the thing that I probably, of all the things in the wine business in Walla Walla that I love, I think that one is magical yeah. because you just have these great friends around you and they're great people. And, and when they do well, you're happy yeah. for that. Yeah. Go, go no, ahead. I and that's maybe one thing we always, like we hope that the new people coming in understand that, that history because that is what really, I think, helps that Walla Walla part and has kind of made it what it is. Yeah, I, yeah. and a lot of the people who are here, though, are, were all grounded here. Mm -hmm. I mean, a lot of the early people were, were from here. And so they understood that. They understood that Walla Walla social capital thing. Um, and, you know, and uh, that I, th I, I don't, well, I don't know. I think that will be one of the things going long term will be rather the newer groups of people, of investors, of people who choose to develop a winery and plant vineyards here will embrace that same kind of, uh, you know, commitment to uh, staying together. And certainly when you get to be 100, 150 wineries, it certainly becomes harder to know everybody. I mean, certainly I don't know all the new people now. I saw a truck going down the road the other day with a name on that I never seen before. So, I mean, and they've got a vineyard and, you know, they've got a little truck and it's got their name on it. And I, I didn't know, I don't, yeah. and I don't even know where they are. Yeah. They could be in Oregon or Washington. Yeah. Well, they're in Washington because they have a Washington license plate, so. But majority-wise, though, I think there yeah. is still that feeling, and that's, I you know, I think, you know, that's one reason the Wine Alliance is so strong, um, and I just think that that's a huge part of, of what's happening here and will continue to happen. Mm -hmm. Good. Yeah. Great. Well, thank you both so much. You're welcome. For this interview. Thank you for joining us for this edition of the Oregon Wine History Archive podcast. And thank you to all the supporters, partners, donors, and interviewees who have made our project a success. Be sure to check out our website at OregonWineHistoryArchive.org for more interviews, plus photographs, wine labels, and more. And stay tuned for more interviews as we tell the story of Oregon wine. The Oregon Wine History Archive podcast is brought to you by the Oregon Wine History Archive at Linfield College. The executive producer is Kiana Anderson. Producers are Rich Schmidt, Rachel Woody, Stephanie Hoffman, and Camille Weber. And a special thanks to all the Linfield Archive students who have contributed to these oral history interviews over the years.